Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Sermon Extra. I'm here with Pastor Nick Katie here, Pastor Mike, and uh, we're here in Longmont, Colorado, and it's great to have you with us this week. And uh, once again, we were in our series, uh, Desiring the Kingdom, and uh, we were in 1 Kings chapter 21, and the name of our sermon was The Unexpected Way. And if you have missed that, we're here on Sunday morning. Uh, you can catch it on YouTube and catch it on Facebook, or you can go over to whitefieldschurch.com and you can download the sermon there. And I believe it's up on all of our podcasts as well. So, um, you know, Google Google Play or Apple Music or Spotify, whichever those or whatever platform you use, you can find it there. And if you would, please just like this video, subscribe, ring that bell. Um, you know, it just helps to for us to get this uh, gospel-centered, Christ-centered content out further and further, the more people subscribe and more people like these videos. But uh, so we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 21. You kind of spent your time there with uh, Elijah's interaction with Ahab and and his kind of repentance and that kind of thing. But, you know, you kind of covered chapters 20 through 22 as well. So I thought maybe our our time today, we could just spend just kind of covering some of the things that you were not able to bring out in your sermon on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so here's what happened in chapter 20. You remember in chapter 19, we saw Ahab, or Elijah goes into the wilderness. God speaks to him, sends him back out. You know, Elijah had tried to quit because he was so discouraged. God said, no, no, no. I want you to continue your ministry. Gave him a couple concrete things that he wanted him to do. But what we see is that those things didn't take place immediately. In between that time, some other things happened. Uh, one of the things that God had told Elijah in chapter 19 was that Elijah felt like he's the only one standing for God. And God said, no, no, no. I have a lot of people that you don't know about who are still, you know, they haven't bowed the knee to Baal and they're down there doing their work. And so actually in chapter 20, we see some of those unnamed prophets. We don't, we're not told their names. We're just told, you know, this person spoke to a prophet. We see another prophet in chapter 22, a couple prophets actually by name in chapter 22. So in chapter 20, here's the big setup. There's a battle. Ben-Hadad is the king of Syria, and he wages war on Israel. And uh, Israel's totally out of their league. They're outnumbered. They're outgunned. They don't stand a chance. And Ben-Hadad is kind of taunting them. And he sends a message and says, you guys need to surrender and and uh, just give up because you don't stand a chance. So King Ahab is about to surrender. I mean, he's like this close to surrendering. And the only reason he doesn't surrender is because the elders of Israel, they come and they say, hey, you can't surrender this guy because surrender means he's going to take all of our, our possessions. He's, he's even going to take our wives. He's going to take our children. He is a bad person and we need to resist. So they kind of muster up their meager troops and they fight and God speaks to Ahab through a prophet and says, I'm going to give you victory. Now, this is another example that we see of God's mercy towards Ahab, because remember at this point, Ahab hadn't even ever humbled himself before God and repented. And yet God was willing for the sake of Israel to uh, work with this evil man and give him victory in spite of his wickedness. So God promises him, Ahab, you go do this and I'm going to give you victory. And so Ahab does it. He actually goes forward, obeys the word of the prophet, trusts in faith that God's going to give him the victory. And with a very small group of people, it's kind of like the Gideon story, right? With a very small number of troops, they're actually able to defeat this much larger, better equipped army. So, but then here's the twist. They capture Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, the man who was going and promised to 
take their wives, take their children, take their houses, everything, and just make them basically a vassal state. Well, um, they arrest him and King Ahab is told, do justice to this man, basically execute this man and carry out justice upon him. You remember in those days, I mean, there's no tribunals, no courts. Justice was done in this way. And son Ahab pulls a weird move where he goes, um, he knows that he's supposed to do justice, but instead of doing justice, he comes back and he says, I, you know what? This guy, Ben-Hadad, he, he's my brother. We're friends. We're bros. We're, we're good. And he just lets him go. And, um, and you might wonder why he does that. One of the things I mentioned is that you can see through Ahab's life how he, he's seeking happiness through success and power, through pleasing people, and through possessions. Well, here you go. Success and power. Maybe he's doing this because he wants Ben-Hadad to owe him one, right? So then he, he'll have uh, a favor to call in later. Maybe he's doing it because he wants to please this man and not get on the bad side of everybody. So he doesn't do it. And then at the end of chapter 20, this prophet comes and says, Ahab, you disobeyed the Lord. You were supposed to carry out justice and you didn't do it. And because you didn't do it, you are subject to God's judgment. It's that whole thing like in Romans, Paul talks about how we have uh, piled up for ourselves judgment against God. You can just imagine, you know, adding to the pile all the time. That's what we see with Ahab. So we saw chapter 20 and this, this event where Ahab steals this guy, kills a guy and steals his land. Uh, an interesting thing I didn't really bring up too much yesterday is that Jezebel is the one who organized this banquet where they killed Naboth. But God holds Ahab responsible. And I think that that's really important for us to see, that God holds uh, Ahab responsible for the death of Naboth, even though he didn't personally kill him. And it just it gets this whole idea of, you know, who's responsible? What's the sin of omission? A sin of omission is different than a sin of commission. Sin of commission is when you do something that you shouldn't have done. Sin of omission is when you don't do something that you should have done. So God holds uh, him responsible and says that, you know, you knew that she was going to go murder this guy and you let it happen. Therefore, you are also guilty of murder. Okay, so now chapter 22, what happens there? Again, they're still facing an onslaught from Syria and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. Why? Because Ahab didn't do justice in chapter 20 when he had the opportunity and when he should have. So at this point, Ahab has teamed up with, which is really interesting, he's teamed up with Jehoshaphat, who is the king of Judah. So even though the, the uh, kingdom is still divided, they're working together to fight this onslaught from the Syrians. Okay, so what happens is they, they call in these prophets. Jehoshaphat says, we should hear from the Lord. What should we do? Is the Lord going to give us victory? So they call in these prophets and they call in this one prophet and he's like, yep, guys, all good. God's going to give you the victory. And Jehoshaphat's like, I don't know. Let's get a second opinion. Maybe he knows that this particular prophet always just tells him what he wants to hear, which I find it interesting. That even Jehoshaphat wants to know the truth, even though he, he kind of knows what the truth is. He just wants somebody to tell him the truth, honestly. So they bring in this other prophet named Milkiah. And I alluded to that in the sermon that Ahab says, I hate this guy, Micaiah, because he always tells me stuff I don't want to hear. Okay, so they call in this guy, Micaiah. He's been like jailed and like in prison. And so he comes in, he's all dirty and smelly. And he comes in, they say, hey, tell us the word from the Lord. Are we going to win this battle against the Syrians? And Micaiah is like, yep, totally going to win it. And I think they can hear the sarcasm in his voice because they ask him, no, really, tell us the truth. And he says, fine, you want to know the truth? You're going to die in battle. 
And that's what's going to happen. He tells this to King Ahab. And King Ahab says, um, well, why did you tell me that we were going to win? And why did this other guy tell us we were going to win? And Melchiah says something really interesting. He goes, well, the Lord put a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets in order to mislead you so that you would go into battle and, and die. Because we also see that at this time, uh, Ahab had once again started to accumulate priests to pagan gods. So we see his repentance, but then we see that his repentance was apparently temporary, not final. He didn't give his heart to the Lord. Certainly he did humble himself before God momentarily, but he didn't, it wasn't a long lasting thing. So, you know, God's judgment is coming upon Ahab. Uh, it's getting towards the end. And he said, well, that's what's going to happen. But he said, I'll tell you what, no matter what you do in this battle, you are going to die because God's going to make sure that that's what happens. And so what they do is they, they actually try to prevent him from dying. He dresses up as a regular soldier. They switch spots with Jehoshaphat. He goes into battle and it says that a random soldier from the Syrians shot an arrow and it happened to go in between his armor. In other words, um, you know, this is one of those things where you look at and you say, well, this must have been an act of God because it was not like a simple, easy thing for this to happen. So Ahab ends up dying and the prophecy is fulfilled that Elijah gave in chapter 21 in the sense that Ahab doesn't die right away on the battlefield. They bring him back in a cart. He dies along the way of bringing him back. They bring his body all the way back to Syria. And it says that the dogs licked up his blood in the pool of Samaria. So, and that's, that's it. And then Jehoshaphat, we have a summary of his story, his life. Uh, again, kind of a mixed bag with Jehoshaphat. He did some good things, and yet he didn't tear down the high places. And then we see the introduction of um, Ahab's son. And we're going to talk more about him this coming Sunday as we look at 2 Kings chapter 1. Yeah, wow. Well, and it, what amazes me is there seems to be this, you know, well, there's a couple of themes that popped up in as you just described that. One is that the thing with the kings is though they repented, they would never go all the way. They would never, the high places was kind of their, the thorn in their side. They would not destroy the high places, the place of worship, and always seemed to fall back in and seemed to be this thing. It was like a theme over and over again. Even though they displayed, you know, repentance, there's always those high places that kind of caught them. The other one is just uh, Ahab and Elijah's relationship kind of seemed to me to mirror that of Saul and Samuel. And same kind of, you have that same situation where Saul's told to completely eradicate the Amalekites. He does not do it. Samuel comes. What does he not do? He doesn't kill the king. And then Samuel has to then, has to kill the king. But then, of course, because of Saul's disobedience, you know, it comes around to get him in the end as well as he is killed by an Amalekite. And um, and so we kind of see that same pattern of just like the, the inability for the kings to do and be obedient to what the Lord has called them to do. You know, it's just, yeah, history is doomed. <laughs> you know, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it, I guess is the... Yeah, and I think the big takeaway is is exactly that. Half measures. This mm -hmm. is where half measures get you. They, they come to bite you. Um, and God calls us whole heart, right? Love the Lord mm -hmm. your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. All of it. Do your obedience. Don't do this halfway stuff because why? Because it will come back to bite you. As we talked about yesterday, God's commands are for our good always. That's what it says in Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. can't leave room, can't leave a foothold for, for our enemy to get in there. And so, yeah, and that's a great word to leave with today. It's just that, you know, the Lord has called us 
all of us, you know, it's not, we're not giving a 10% or a 20%. He's called to, to give a hundred percent of all that we are. We're new creations in Christ and to completely be sold out to what the Lord has and get on his mission. And so that's just a great, great word. A lot of things we can learn from the old Testament. And uh, also just a great word that from Sunday, if you haven't seen it, it was just that God's for us and God's for you. You know, he's rooting for you. He wants the best for you. You know, his, his, his laws are not to put us in a box, but to actually set us free from those things that truly want to destroy us. So if you haven't been able to download, you can download right here. You can subscribe right here, here, and uh, we'll again, we'll see you again next week. God bless you.